0: what is up everybody welcome to another episode of the sean jones NBA show i'm recording this on friday february 9th and that means yesterday was the trade deadline so it came and went and so we had a good amount of deals go down yesterday not a ton of massive names that were dealt um, but a lot of that Due to some trades happening well before the trade deadline. Um, But with that said, we will talk through all of the major deals as well as address some of the teams that did not do anything that maybe should have, or maybe Smartly didn't do anything. Um, But with that said, we're gonna talk all things trade deadline. So let's get right into it. So overall, like I said, this was kind of a pretty boring trade deadline. I mean, there really were not any major names moved, the biggest names being Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, Bojan Bogdanovic. I mean, um, <laughs> certainly not headline type names. However, I do think a big part of that is because we do have to keep in mind that James Harden, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Terry Rozier, these are all guys that were already dealt this season. So um, I know Harden felt more like a delayed offseason deal than an early in-season deal, Um But we did have just kind of a rare amount of deals that happen well before the deadline. Typically, those things go up to uh, the last possible second a lot of times. But a lot of guys we talked about for a very, very long time, uh, pretty much all year, and for some of these guys for years now – just rumored to being dealt that were not dealt. I mean, DeJounte Murray is still with the Hawks. Bruce Brown is still with Toronto. Dorian Finney-Smith stayed with the Nets. Miles Bridges is still with the Hornets. Tyce Jones stayed with the Wizards. Malcolm Brogdon is still on the Blazers. Andrew Wiggins is still with the Warriors. And then the Bulls didn't trade anybody. They still have Levine, who, of course, is out for the season, so that might have played into that. Um, but then they still have DeRozan, Caruso, Vucevic, et cetera. Um, and just to put it in perspective towards last year, I mean – Last year we had Kyrie traded a couple days before the deadline. We had Kevin Durant traded um, like at 1 in the morning East Coast time the night before the deadline. Um, We had a pretty big three-team deal that involved two playoff contenders in the Wolves and Lakers with D'Angelo Russell going to the Lakers, Mike Conley going to the Wolves, Russell Westbrook was included in that as well. And then we had a lot of just aspiring contenders that added pieces around the edges. So Clippers added Eric Gordon and Mason Plumlee. The Grizzlies got Luke Kennard. The Knicks got... Uh, Josh Hart, Warriors added Gary Payton again, and the Bucks got Jake Crowder. So there was a lot of movement last year. This year, kind of underwhelming, a little bit anticlimactic, um, mostly just some good role players being shifted around, a lot of second-round picks being sent around. There was only three first-round picks traded all day, and two of them were from Dallas, um, one of them inexplicably from Toronto, um, but I'll talk about that later. Um, and last year, KD, I mean, there was four picks traded plus three swaps on just that trade alone. So a lot less movement from a big-name player and draft pick perspective this season. Um, and a whole lot of teams either kind of just did nothing or added around the fringes. But, but just getting into some of the deals. So probably the biggest one of the day was the New York Knicks acquiring Bojan Bogdanovic and Alec Burks in exchange for um, Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier, Malachi Flynn, Ryan, Archidiacno and two second round picks. Um, this trade's gotten a lot of love. And I, I think this is a – I agree this is a great deal for the Knicks. It's a big up, upgrade for them. Um, Bogdanovich is obviously an elite shooter. He's shot 41% from three since 2018, since he arrived in Indiana. Um, and he's not just a spot-up shooter, though. He's a very underrated shot creator. He's averaged 18 plus point per game uh, since 2018 as well. So he's been a legitimate offensive threat as a, a secondary tertiary option for his teams. Um, and even a guy that you can run the offense through in spurts. And that's really something that the Knicks have needed uh, since trading away quickly Ananobi has been phenomenal for them. And you do that trade 10 out of 10 times. If you go back, he's totally transformed their defense. However, They lost a lot of uh, playmaking and uh, offensive creation in that deal between Barrett and Quickly both going to Toronto, um, especially with a guy like Julius Randle injured right now. Um, They've been pretty banged up across the board, but um, they don't really have any ball handlers on their bench right now. So Bojan, not that he's a primary ball handler, but at least somebody who can dribble, (laughs) especially in in the half-court setting. Um, And then getting Alec Burks is obviously... uh, an area to help address that as well i'm not a huge alec burks guy i know he has shot like forty percent from three over the past couple years um but he doesn't take great shots he's not really a uh, good distributor playmaker despite being a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot and he's gonna be really bad on defense at times um but I say all that to say he is still an upgrade over what they've got in terms of just ball handlers off the bench. Because right now, I mean, Flynn and Archie Diakna, who are in this deal, both of them, they can't crack the rotation. They are not NBA rotation players. Um, and then that leaves Miles McBride, who is decent, but not a, absolutely not a guy you can rely on um, offensively to carry the second unit. So, um, Burks should be an upgrade there. However... Do I think he's going to be in their rotation in the playoffs? Maybe not. Maybe. Who knows? I don't I don't think it's a, a needle mover by any means. He's certainly not um, the kind of upgrade a guy like Tyce Jones or Malcolm Brogdon would have been. Um, but obviously the headliner here is Bojan. Burks is sort of the secondary piece here. Um, and while I do really like Bojan as an offensive player, I do just want to... I feel like his approval rating is... A little too high. I mean, for years now, since he's gotten to Detroit, people are like, oh, man, he'd be the perfect fit. Uh, p- plug him into this team, and it would just open up everything. And offensively, I do agree. He is the kind of guy that can fit in on any team. He can play the three. He can play the four. Um, he He's going to shoot the lights out of the ball. He can play make a little bit, like I said. But we need to not act like he's a flawless player. He's almost 35 years old, and he is... Genuinely one of the worst perimeter defenders in the league at this point. Um, He's had 122 defensive rating last season, 124 this season. I mean, those are like worse than the league type numbers right there. And that's while playing like meaningless regular season games in Detroit as well. The last time we saw him play meaningful minutes was two years ago when he was with Utah in the playoffs. And in that series... They got absolutely torched by the Mavericks defensively, and that's even with having Rudy Gobert, who, as many would say, is the greatest uh, rim protector and defensive anchor of this generation. But uh, they, the Mavericks, they didn't even have Luka for a couple of those games, and they totally dominated Utah, especially on the offensive end. They got absolutely cooked. And Bogdanovich is a, a big piece of that. I mean look, did Donovan Mitchell play well defensively in that series? Absolutely not. But they had Royce O'Neill, They had Mike Conley, guys who are known to be at least competent defenders. So he's not absolved of the blame for how bad they looked in that playoff series. Um, and then since then, he's been just as bad, if not worse, on the defensive end. So I say all this to say just that he's not this flawless guy that the Knicks are getting. He's not going to solve all their problems. He helps them offensively, but he certainly does hurt them a little defensively, especially while Ananobi's on, on out. I expect them to take a pretty drastic step back defensively because going from maybe the best perimeter defender in the entire league and OG to a guy like Bojan is a massive, massive drop-off. Um, and am I absolutely positive that Boyan won't get played off the court in a playoff series? I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I think in the wrong matchup, teams are going to come at him. He's clearly going to be the weak link in, um, on, the, on defense for New York in the playoffs. And so I think teams are going to target him. And how he responds is going <laughs> to be a major question mark in terms of if they can play him big-time minutes in the playoffs. So the good thing is they're not going to need to necessarily rely on him to play 35 minutes a game, they are super deep now, um, and I'm not. I don't say this to say I don't like this trade. I like this trade because the context of the trade is so important in terms of what they gave up. I mean, they gave up. Fournier, who literally hasn't been in the rotation for over a year now. Flynn and Archie Diakno, who are not rotation players. Two second-round picks, which I personally don't really care much about. Um, and then Quentin Grimes. And Grimes is a, a a nice, solid young player. I do like him genuinely. But he has been in and out of the rotation as well. Um, and he hasn't played as well this year as he has in years past. And he's kind of redundant with a lot of what they have. They don't need another like three and D spot up guy um, because they've got Josh Hart. They've got um, uh, David DiVincenzo. And now Bojan is a, a better version of anything Grimes could ever be offensively at this point, at least. So value-wise, this is a no-brainer trade. You're basically upgrading the Fournier spot who wasn't playing anyway um, and gave up an expendable asset in Grimes, two non-rotation players and two second-round picks. And they kept all of their first-round picks, which is huge for them because now they maintain all of the flexibility they could need to go into the offseason to make a big offseason acquisition via trade if someone were to become available, like a Donovan Mitchell, or maybe someone unexpected that we don't even know about yet. Um, so get, getting Bojan with, without giving up a first, or really any rotation piece besides Grimes, and you get Burks, too, is just like a throw-in. It's a no-brainer trade. You do this trade every single time. It's just... Uh, good asset management by New York gives them flexibility improves them in the short term and it seems like a good fit Um, I just want to pump the brakes in terms of saying that Bojan is some massive massive difference maker but I will say for the first time I am at least open to the idea that the Knicks could make the conference finals Um, I obviously still prefer the Celtics I still prefer the Bucs I know there's a lot of uh, Bucks hate out there right now, um, but the East is, is looking more and more uncertain. I mean, it looked like earlier in the year it was Celtics clear number one, Bucks and Sixers clear number two in some order. Um, but with beat out, the Sixers, who knows with them at this point, um, he may not even be back this year. So they might not even be in the picture. Then you've got Milwaukee, who is 1-5 since firing Adrian Griffin. They have shown some defensive strides, but clearly it has still been a learning process. I'm not going to jump to any conclusions. I mean, look at the James Harden trade. They were 0-4 in his first four games, and now they are absolutely cruising. So I'm not going to freak out over the the bumpy start with the Bucks, But it's obviously something to monitor, and I don't think this season has been, been as smooth for them as they would have hoped or you would have thought it would be. And then after that, I mean, the Cavs have been playing lights out, but how could you not feel good of the Knicks after you absolutely kicked their ass in the playoffs last season? Um, and then that leaves the the rest of the teams. I mean, Miami has been up and down. Um, Indiana, they've got a lot of pieces and talent, but they don't have any playoff experience. And so I... Yeah, I think the Knicks could, in a scenario, make the conference finals, but I think it really depends on the matchups, and I still probably think their most realistic fate is a second-round loss. Um, but they're going to make it interesting because they've got... It stinks for them because they've got everything you could want except for the most important piece, which is a like clear-cut top 10, top 15 guy. Like Brunson has been phenomenal this year, but even with that, he's not that. He's at borderline top 20 at best right now top 25 I'd say having a phenomenal season deserves to probably have started in the all-star game if not for uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, and he will make all NBA as of right now and I think that's deserving as well but we still know when it comes down to it they're not going to have the best player in any se- series they play Tatum's going to be the best player if they play the Celtics Giannis will be the best player if they play the Bucks. I think Halliburton is better than him personally so I think if they play the Pacers he will be the best player in the series. Um, If they play the Sixers with Embiid, obviously he will be the best player in the series. So just go down the line. Um, They're going to be at a talent disadvantage at the very top in any series they play. And so that's the one piece they're missing. And so that's really what's holding me back from saying they're this contender. I'd be shocked if they made the final still, it would be one of the finals teams with the worst best player that I've seen in a long time. Um, Maybe since the 04 Pistons or something like that. Um, But good trade overall. Knicks did well for themselves. Um, It was a smart trade. Keeps them flexible. Improves them in the short term. Doesn't limit them in the long term. um, And it raises their ceiling a little bit. Moving to the next trade. Gordon Hayward was sent to the Thunder. For Davis Bertans. Trey Mann. Vasilija Micic. Who's their 30 year old Serbian rookie a 2024 second round pick and a 2025 second round pick. So I really like this pickup. Um, I think Hayward saw some juice in the tank personally. Um, he's like still, he's always been a good player. Even in the past couple of years, he just hasn't been able to stay in the court. He's currently injured. He was injured for a large portion of last year. And really since that big injury he had in Boston, he has just been in and out of the lineup all the time. So that's really his biggest issue. But given what they gave up, I mean the seconds like I said, two seconds is it is what it is that's I don't care much about that Michic really had not played well. he's shooting like around thirty percent from three and has not really consistently cracked their rotation anyway Berton's terrible contract like <laughs> I think they're uh, the hornets are buying him out anyway um, and then really trey man is the thing that you're giving up here but with the breakout of Kason Wallace. Trey Mann becomes extremely expendable. I think Wallace is a better player. He's a better fit for this team. I think he's going to be better down the line as well. So um, giving up pretty much just Trey Mann and a few second-round picks for Hayward, even if it's just for half a season. I still think it's a, a worthy gamble because um, he brings a lot of the same kind of skill set that Josh Giddy does. They're both really good playmakers for their position. They both can handle the ball. Both are effective shot creators both for themselves and for other people. But the kicker is that Hayward is a significant upgrade as a shooter. And so Giddy has had kind of a weird year. I mean, he, he his stats are down across the board, his percentages and efficiency are down across the board. And he's still a good player and he's young, but he doesn't it's not a supernatural fit with what they have with um, SGA, Lou Dort, uh, J Dub, and uh, Chet—he kind of just there. <laughs> like Giddy's a little better with the ball in his hands than he is as an off-ball player, and you obviously want the ball in SGA's hands and Jalen Williams as well because he's been just absurd this season. Um, so Giddy falling to that number three offensive option, and honestly, most times number four because Chet has been so good as well. It's that's not really the best role for him. But Hayward can thrive in that role. I think that he's actually, like, I think Giddy's a better player in a vacuum, but I think Hayward's a better fit for this team just as a guy who can hang out on the perimeter, knock down open shots, but he's still a threat as like a uh, guy that can put the ball on the floor, create a little bit for others, play with the second unit, and get some good offensive possessions. Um, so I, I like it for them. And I think it gives them optionality with their lineup. So Giddy could essentially not even need to be in the rotation in some playoff series because Hayward could fill that role for him. Um, Whereas before, they they really did need him because um, outside of those main four, they've got some good bench pieces, but not a lot of guys that were coming off the bench or um, at end of the lineup guys that could create so much. So this gives them optionality. Um, They can bring Giddy off the bench now if they want. They probably will start with Hayward off the bench. Um, but I think ultimately down the line, he's a better fit in their closing lineup with their other main four guys, um, instead of giddy. Um, and also he's a free agent at the end of the year. So there's no long-term commitment. I know he's got a big salary, but it opens up some cap space for them. So yeah, I don't think this is necessarily a, a needle mover though, because, To me, this wasn't their biggest need. I mean, they really, really need a big man, in my opinion. I mean, in the playoffs, they might have to go up against Minnesota, who's got Towns and Gobert on their front line. Denver, who's got Jokic, obviously. They might have to play the Lakers in the first round or something like that with Anthony Davis. There's a lot of teams with size in the West, and I don't know if they're equipped to guard those guys over a span of seven games. I think Chet is a phenomenal player. I think he's a great defensive player, but more of the type of defensive player who's got versatility and can block shots, not so much the type of defensive player that's going to guard a elite-scoring big man one-on-one in the paint. I think he'll get bodied around a little bit. And they don't really have other options after him. Anyway, Jalen Williams, the other Jalen Williams, he is small. I mean, he's just not, I think he's like 6'8", 6'9". He's just undersized for his position, and he's not a reliable, legitimate player backup center especially in a playoff setting um, because he's also not offering a ton offensively either so I like this move but it's like why make this and not also go after a big guy I just don't really get why they didn't go for it I mean I know that they've got a lot of runway given how young their players are but at the same time I'm like they're, they could be the number one seed this season. Like you got to, at some point, go for it. You've got SGA, who's in the running to win MVP. Um, and so, I, without the adding a big, I personally don't really see them as a legitimate contender. Just in the sense, like, could they make the conference finals? Absolutely. I just mean, I don't think they can win the title this year. And a lot of that is based on just precedent. Um, there's no precedent, really, at all, for a team to go from out of the playoffs to winning the title without adding an all-star. So like teams of like the Suns a couple years ago went from out of the playoffs to the finals, but that's because they added Chris Paul, who was an all NBA player, like stuff like that happens all the time. Um, but they didn't add anybody except a rookie and (laughs) an injured Gordon Hayward. Like that's, there's just no precedent of that. Um, I tried to look back and see if there was anything close. The closest thing I could think of was the Chris Paul, uh, Hornets back in new Orleans. Um, they went from out of the playoffs to the number two seed, uh, and they won 55-plus games. That was a team with Chris Paul, Peja Stojakovic, David West, um, Tyson Chandler. They were a really good team, but they lost second round to a better, more experienced team in the Spurs. And so I just think that the Thunder will have a similar destiny this year where they'll play somebody who's more experienced and fall up short, even though they've got all the talent in the world. Um, but, yeah, I just don't see it out of them. But I would really would have liked to see them add a big guy. Um, overall, I do like the, the Hayward edition. I think that they didn't have to give up much as expected. I mean, given his salary, there probably wasn't a ton of market for Hayward and he might've been bought out regardless if he wasn't moved. So next, uh, going to go to the Buddy Heald, uh, trade as he was sent to the 76ers for Marcus Morris, Furkan, Korkmaz, and three seconds. Um, first of all, congratulations to Korkmaz. This dude has been at a trade request in for years now and finally got out of Philadelphia so good for him (laughs) Um, the Sixers also sent Daniel House in a separate deal to the Pistons for a second round um, pick to clear some cap space presumably maybe for a buyout guy like Kyle Lowry who's been mentioned um, with Philadelphia being the favorite because they're actually one of the few potential contenders that is not in the tax apron so they can actually sign Lowry, whereas Lowry is very limited with the other contenders that he can go to. Um, so, look, I mean, this was almost nothing that they gave up. I mean, Marcus Morris is an expiring contract, not a very good player at this point. Cork Korkmaz was out of the rotation, three seconds, you know, it is what it is. Um, and Heald is a nice player. He's one of only four players in the history of the NBA to average above 30 uh, three-pointers made per game in his career. The only other players are Dame, Clay, and Steph. And he's got a better percentage and less attempts than Dame in that span. Uh, He also has the second most three-pointers made in the entire league since coming in um, after only Steph, who's obviously first in every single category you could think of. Um, But yeah, he's been a super durable, consistent, reliable three-point shooter. He can dribble the ball a little bit. Um, Not the best defensive player, but at least he... Compete sometimes on that end. Um, and look, this was a really good trade for Philadelphia because they had a decision to make. Did they want to make a trade and sacrifice their cap space in the offseason, run the risk of losing out on potentially a big free agent, a guy like Paul George, if he does go down that road, um, to try and improve now? Or the other option is stand pat, don't mess up the potential cap space you could have, but then it's unlikely you're really going to be able to improve this season. Um, and then the Embiid injury kind of complicated that. But this trade is great because it allows still for both. They clearly upgraded in the short term, adding Buddy Heald um, compared to Marcus Morris and Maz. I mean, he's obviously a better player than both of those guys, will be in the rotation, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, Heald is also an expiring contract. So it gives them the best of both worlds where they still maintain that flexibility to sign a big-name free agent in the offseason if they really wanted to. Um, and it, it also kind of threads the needle of, like, is Embiid going to come back or not? If he comes back, then great. He helps them for the playoffs, um, Heald does, and they might be able to make a legit push to make their first conference finals. Or um, if he doesn't come back, then it's more of a tryout for Heald. You can see if he plays well next to Maxi, maybe re-sign him in the offseason, um, or just let him walk if things don't work out because they didn't really give up that much for him. So it's a low-risk deal. Um, it's similar to the Knicks deal where it maintains their flexibility, um, but also giving them a short-term upgrade for now. Um, on the Pacers side of this, I mean, this obviously doesn't necessarily help them, but uh, they probably wanted to open up minutes for Nemhart, Neesmith, Mathurin, guys like that. They've got a lot of younger guys at that same two-guard position, so it was a little complicated with the minutes and rotation there. And he had have been rumored to be traded for years. He probably wasn't part of their long-term plans. He's in his 30s already, expiring contract. Um, I know the Pacers probably weren't going to re-sign him because they might want to have some cap space um, this summer as well because they obviously have to re-sign Siakam, but they may want to make a couple new additions as well. So this deal makes sense. Um, Not a needle mover by any means, but it's a smart move by the Sixers, um, and they maintain pretty much all that flexibility that I mentioned. Next, we'll move to Dallas, who had one of the more active deadlines as they made a couple different deals. The first one, um, they acquired Daniel Gafford from the Wizards for Rashawn Holmes and a 2024 first-round pick that they actually got from OKC in a separate deal, um, allowing OKC to have a swap in 2028. Um, That first-round pick, I believe it's the better of um, the Thunder and Clippers this year because the Thunder have a swap with the Clippers. Um, but both those teams obviously are uh, two of the best teams in the league record-wise, so that pick's probably going to be in the late 20s at best for Washington this year. Um, then they also sent Seth Curry, Grant Williams, in a top-two projected 2027 first-round pick to the Hornets for P.J. Washington, Um, And then the Mavs also got two second-round picks back in that deal. Um, So a lot of moving parts here. Uh, I'm going to start off with Grant Williams, who they signed in the offseason and dealt in this trade. A lot of reports going around since the trade saying that they needed to just move on from him. It was a weird fit. Um, Personality-wise, he was rubbing people the wrong way. Um, And probably more importantly, he just wasn't playing well. I mean, he was having a career worse year like from an efficiency and defensive standpoint um he was 41 percent from the field for the season 120 defensive rating which is easily the worst of his career and since the calendar year turned to 2024 he shot only 33 percent from three and under 40 percent from the field so he's been bad at both ends he's been a bad fit he hasn't really done anything for them it's just been kind of it it was a miss on signing him in the offseason um, I'm not really sure <laughs> what the right fit for him is, but it was clearly not this team from a basketball standpoint or from a locker room standpoint, based on all the reports. Um, but in terms of what they got, Dallas, um, I really like Gafford. I think he's a re- he's a really good rim protector to over two blocks per game this season. He's a good rim runner. Um, I think playing with Luca will only help him. We've seen how effective Derek Lively has been as a rookie with um, Luca. And I think also just getting away from guys like Jordan Poole will help him as well. Uh, but he's still only 25, and so he's one of those guys that's like a fringe starter. But as a backup, I think he's one of the best backup bigs in in the whole league right now. I really like what he does. He he's doesn't demand any shots. Obviously, on the offensive end, he's limited there. But that's really they don't need him to do anything on that. And it'll be like Lively. He'll play that same sort of role where as a a lob catcher, finisher at the rim, um, and then a defensive rim protector, which both of them do very well. And the center position was a major weakness for this team for a couple years. I mean, Dwight Powell has been there for a while, but he's just not good at this point. I'm not sure he ever was that good anyway. Um, They've had guys like uh, JaVale McGee, who was a disaster signing, um, uh, who... Rashawn Holmes, who was in this trade, he couldn't even crack the rotation at all this year. They had to play um, Maxi Kleber at center, who could be effective there at times as a floor spacer, but that's more of a thing you probably prefer to have as like a weapon in your back pocket than a necessity to have to play him at center, uh, which is what they had. (laughs) But now it's a strength. I mean, the Gafford-Lively combo to me is one of the best center combos in the entire league in terms of just both guys being very, very solid. I don't think you're going to lose anything, um, regardless of who's on the court at any given time. They have similar skill sets. Um, Lively, I think, has got more upside um, as an offensive player, and he's a little bit more athletic. But both of them very, very solid defensively and uh, are smart offensive players to this point. Then moving to P.J. Washington, he is more of a theoretical player than reality to this point because in theory... He is a 6'7", 6'8", floor spacer at the power forward position. He can score off the dribble. I mean, we've seen him had uh, 40-point games in the past. Uh, He can also play some small ball five, like the P.J. Tucker-type role um, that we've seen be very successful over the past half decade or so. Um, And he's shown some flashes just as a versatile defender, guarding guards, guarding forwards, guarding centers. Um, But the reality is that (laughs) A lot of this is more theoretical. His three-point shooting has gone down each of the past three seasons, and he's only 32% this year. His defensive rating has also gotten worse each of the last three years, up to 121 this year, which is really bad. Um, But I do think it's just hard to judge too much, just the fact that he's played on a Hornets team that's been really bad, especially with LaMelo missing a ton of time in that span. So I think a change of scenery will be good for him, and I think it could unlock him a little bit. I, I'm a P.J. Washington fan. I think he is good, and I think any contender would uh, want to have him, and I think he's the perfect kind of player to fit in on a contender as a do-it-all Swiss RV knife role player. Um, I personally think first-round pick is fine value for him. I mean, I think his contract he signed the offseason is not too bad. Um but he's going to play the role that they thought Grant Williams would play, but he'll do it better. I mean, he's a better—I trust him more as a shooter. Um, I think he's a more versatile player. He certainly has more skills offensively. Um, I think they're comparable defensive players, but I think Washington's got a little bit more versatility on that end. Uh, and so Dallas's rotation is looking pretty solid now. I mean, um, Kyrie, Luka, Josh Green, P.J. Washington, Derek Lively with Exum, Hardaway— Derek Jones Jr. and Gafford off the bench. I mean, it's a pretty solid nine genuinely. Um, do I think it pushes them to a contender? No. Um, and I think that's the downside of all these moves is that, like I said, they had to trade a swap to get the pick to send Gafford. So now if you look at their first round picks in the future, 2024, they owe the pick to the Knicks from the Porzingis trade 2025. They have their own pick 2026. They have their own pick. Um, But they can't trade either of those because they already traded 2024 So because of the stipend rule. They can't trade 25. They can't trade 26 because they just traded the 27th pick to the Hornets for P.J. Washington, which is only top two protected. They also have a swap going to OKC in 2028 now for the Gafford deal. They have a 2029 that's going to Brooklyn because of the Kyrie deal. And then in 2030, they have a uh, swap going out to the Spurs that they got in order to sign Grant Williams as part of that deal. So, they don't have a single pick at all that they can trade, and they only have two swaps left available. And from 2027 to 2030, <laughs> all of their picks are owed out. So, like either a swap or sent to a team outright um, from 2027 on, which is not great when you consider that Luca could potentially become a free agent after the 2026 season. Um, so, this could get really, really ugly for them if Luca leaves. Um, and the worst part is that they can't do anything to really guarantee that he won't leave because they don't have any assets to trade anymore. They can't trade any of their picks. And the only players on their roster that really could net anything of significant value are probably Lively, maybe Josh Green. Um, and But again, that's there's not guys that are going to be needle movers to get you like a third start or anything like that without picks attached um and so this is just not a great spot to be in as an eight seed they're an eight seed right now they missed the playoffs last year they did make the conference finals two years ago though that did feel a little fluky um and before that they had not won a playoff series with luca so they have luca's been in his theoretical early prime for like maybe five years now and they've won a playoff series one of those five seasons and I just don't see them winning one this year. I mean, maybe if they get the right matchup, but they're not contenders this year. They're too bad on defense. They don't have rely- enough reliable players after their top two guys. Um, and so it's just not a great spot to be in. You, If you owe out all your assets and you're a team like the Suns or the Nuggets or the Bucks, where like you've got the star power to say, okay, we can win it all this year if things break our way. Like Dallas just doesn't have that, and now they have no assets to improve, and they put themselves at a massive, massive risk to be in a just awful spot if Luca leaves, because they're gonna—I mean—they're gonna be terrible if he walks, and they have no picks to act as insurance if that happens. Um, not to mention the string of these events to get the makes these trades happen. I mean, that twenty thirty swap was to get Grant Williams. The twenty twenty eight swap was to get Gafford. So they sent out basically two swaps to get uh, two swaps and that 2027 pick to the Hornets um, just to get these two guys. So that's three years of their draft rights sent out for two, at best, good role players. (laughs) Like one of them is not even going to start, and the other one has never been on a winning team in his entire career. So I think, like, if you take a step back and ignore context, these are good pickups for them because they do make the team better right now but it's really hard to ignore the context because it's <laughs> it's really important for this team as as they they're making these decisions. So next we got Monte Morris headed to the Wolves, which did not happen yesterday but happened um earlier this week. That was for Shake Milton, Troy Brown and a 2030 second round pick. Uh look, Monte Morris has barely played this year. He's uh but he was really solid last year and he's been solid over the past 5 years or so. He was 38% from three just last season, over 5 assists. He kind of does all of the little things that Conley's good at. He's like a little mini worse version of Conley. I mean, they both knock down open shots. They make good decisions on the court, good basketball IQ. Um, they fit into the flow of things. They don't demand the ball. They can play on ball or off ball. Um, and look, uh, Morris is just, he's a solid backup. And they needed some insurance for Conley because he is getting up there in age. I mean, he was all the way back to the 2007 draft. He is in his high 30s at this point. Um, and he's been good for them, but he's really the only, like, adult that they have <laughs> in their main rotation with a lot of guys that are can be immature at times and make some questionable decisions, especially on the offensive end. Um, but asking – if this team has aspirations to, like, make the finals, I mean, asking Conley to go through this whole year and then make – four rounds in the playoffs is a really tall task, um, for a guy of his age. So I like this pickup. Uh, it's not going to shake the (laughs) contender like dynamic, but, um, I think Monte Morris is kind of the exact kind of player they needed. They desperately needed a backup guard. And I think it is even better for them because he plays like Conley so that it could be seamless, whether he's, uh, um, stepping in the lineup and playing for Conley with the starters, I think that'll be a seamless fit. But I also think he can run the second unit, which is something that they have kind of lacked to this point. So uh, Earlier this week as well, uh, Xavier Tillman was dealt to the Celtics for 2027 second round pick and a 2030 second round pick. This is a marginal pickup. Um, he may not even be in their rotation. And I think in a perfect world, he's not. Because you can just play... Porzingis and Horford at the center position and just roll with those two guys. But this gives them insurance because Porzingis has had a couple tweaky injuries here and there, and we know the kind of injury history he has. Horford is also like 37 at this point or something. Um, So relying on him, I mean, we saw him break down in the playoffs last year. He was a shell of himself compared to what he did in the regular season. So just having another big guy they can kind of trust to throw out there is going to be massive for them one if one of those guys gets injured but two if like Horford decides he can't shoot the ball anymore or that he's just not playing well or something like that um and look Tillman's been really bad offensively he's 41% from the field as a center he's only shooting 56% at the rim which is really really bad for a big guy um but he's a really good defender 109 defensive rating he's a he's not the tallest guy but he's a big body he's a bruiser type guy um and he can go out there and has six fouls to work with and can give just make a big guy's life a little more trouble um than it might have been so i like to pick up overall i mean the the trade was for nothing basically so um it can't hurt and he does give them insurance so then we had Royce O'Neal going to the Suns. I thought this was a very good pickup. Um, they gave out three second-round picks. They only had four left to trade, so they have one second left uh, in total. Um, but then they sent Kade Bates-Diop and Jordan Goodwin to the Nets. Um, and then they also sent um, Yudo Watanabe and Chimezi Metsu to, to the Grizzlies for David Roddy. So there were two deals here. Um but I love the O'Neal fit. I mean, he's been a 38% three-point shooter this year. He's been a consistent, solid 3 and D role-player type guy. Um, we've seen him be very successful with uh, Utah in the past. Um, I mean, even just a little over a year ago, Brooklyn felt good enough about giving up a first-round pick for him um, when, back when they thought they still had were going to have Durant and Kyrie. Uh so yeah, I mean he look the the Suns had six guys they can trust right now. That's Booker, Beal, Durant, Nurkic, Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon. They have a lot of other guys that they would throw in and add the lineup. But I think O'Neal look is he some otherworldly high level role player? Probably not. But he makes that seven guys they can trust. Like, you know exactly what you're getting from him. He's going to not get played off the court. He's going to be able to knock down open threes. He's a little bit of an underrated passer, um, a connector-type guy. Uh, and he can guard the other team's best player, which right now is Grayson Allen doing that. So he's an upgrade there. Um, so, But that was really what Phoenix was trying to do, get another – guy you know for a fact can be in your playoff rotation and Royce Royce O'Neal is that for them so now they're at seven and they've got some other interesting pieces with like Bol Bol and (laughs) Drew Eubanks and Josh Akogi and we'll see who plays depending on the matchup but at least they feel good about themselves now that they've got seven guys they've got two open roster spots now as well to add in the uh, buyout market which they should be one of the better destinations you'd think in theory just given that they've got rotation spots to be had and they're a team with a lot of star power so um the david roddy part of this i'm not a huge david roddy guy i don't really get this pickup for them a ton i mean he's like 6-4 but listed as a power forward he shot only 30 percent from three for his career 42 percent from the field he's a terribly negative offensive player from an advanced stats perspective uh, he was drafted 23rd overall a couple of years ago, but he was projected in the second round, so he was kind of a reach, so I know it'll sound like, oh, X first round pick, but it, it was... It, he really shouldn't have gone that high, and he's shown why, because he's... Uh, Memphis has given up on him already for just a, a swap. Not even like a one-for-one swap, but like a swap that's already been swapped twice. <laughs> so I just don't see him cracking the rotation. I mean, I think he's going to be like Nasir Little, a young guy that they can throw out for some matchups, but... I think, come playoff time, I'd be shocked if he was playing. Um, and if they were gonna add another guy, I kind of would have preferred it to be maybe either a, a big man or just a more veteran guy that you know you we are getting. But it is what it is. Good pickup overall with the Royce O'Neil uh trade for the Suns, though. Um, the Bucks also got Pat Bev in exchange for Campaign and a second round pick. I I think they were hoping they probably would have made more additions than just this, but. It, you know it is what it is uh they didn't have a lot of assets i think pat bev's probably an upgrade just given what they have and what they need campaign is pr- definitely a better offensive player than beverly is but uh they need defense they need guys that can guard that can especially on the perimeter cuz campaign is you know he's an underrated defender i'll say that he's not a good defender but he's not a guy that's getting played off the court. I mean, we've seen him in playoff settings, and he's held his own at the very least. But Pat Bev is obviously better on that end, and that's just what they needed more of. So it makes sense that he, uh, uh, they would do this deal. And then for the Sixers, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just want to get another second-round pick. I mean, given that they got healed and their emergence of – Maxie, and then they still have De'Anthony Melton. So, I mean, they got a lot of guards. Campaign may play, he may not play, but he's still a fine backup. But he's just obviously not a guy you can, like, super rely on in a playoff setting. Whereas, I think, Pat Bev, you can at least know that you're going to play him in the playoffs. So, uh, not a needle mover there. I mean, this is just kind of a more minor deal. Then there were a few kind of weird deals, uh, both of which involved the Raptors, which... I had a podcast not that long ago where I talked about just the strange and bad moves they've made over the past five years or so. And this kind of just continues with it. I mean, so they acquired um, Oche Agbaji and uh, Kelly Olenek from Utah for Kira Lewis, Otto Porter, and a first-round pick. Um, I think adding the context of this pick is important. It is the worst of the pick they got from Indiana. So it's this year's pick and it's basically like been swapped four times. So it's like among four teams, it's the worst of those four. So it's likely going to be at best like the 25th overall pick or something like that. So it's barely a first round pick. If Toronto's really liked Agbaje and they say, okay, well we'd rather have him than whoever we can get a 25th overall. Like, I guess that's fair justification. Um, I won't argue that. I mean, Akbaji did go in the lottery just like two years ago or something. Um, but he hasn't done much since. But regardless, the 25th pick and a draft people think are not uh, good. <laughs> it's not a good draft. One of the worst we've had in the past couple decades, even if not this century. So I guess from that perspective, you could talk yourself into this deal. But for me, it's just like, dude, it, this is two years in a row where they've traded away a first round pick for a, a center at the deadline. So just what are they doing? It, in a vacuum, it, like I said, it, it may, it's not awful because like, you could talk yourself into it. But the context here is so important when you look at what this team does. I mean, last year they traded a top six protected first-round pick for Jakub Pertl. This year they're trading another first-round pick away for Kelly O'Linick. So I'm like, two straight years, you trade for a center when you're well out of the playoff position. This year, even more so. I mean, they're not even in the the play-in right now. They've been terrible. Um, and you're trading away first-round picks. It just doesn't make any sense. They didn't even get a first-round pick for Ananobi. Um, they just traded one they got for Siakam. So now they've got two first-round picks total for those two guys. And Kelly Olenek, cool. Like, <laughs> um, like look, Olenek's played well. He's... He's actually shot 50-40-85 since getting to Utah, so nearly 50-40-90, which is pretty remarkable. He's a very underrated and good passer for his position as well. But he's an expiring deal, and he doesn't help this team at all. The last thing they needed was a veteran backup big. like. Um, and maybe they really like Agbaji. I don't know. He'll be 24 at the end of the season, though, so a little older than you'd think because he was in college for um, three, four years and he's only shot just under 35% from three in his career. He's supposed to be a three and D guy, but he's a very low assist guy. He's not been a good defender at all. 121 defensive rating for his career. Um, And so, I don't know. If they were going to make a move, this is just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And then they made another one where they um, acquired Spencer Dinwiddie and Dennis Smith Jr. for Thad Young and Dennis Schroeder. So this one, I guess... This one I thought was hilarious when you first saw it because it's like trading Schroeder for Dinwiddie. It's like, were you guys just bored and wanted to make a trade? <laughs> so what does this do for either of you? Um, but Dinwiddie is going to get bought out because he was on the last year of his deal. So I guess the the thought here from Toronto is that Schroeder had a, another year left on his deal. They just wanted to get off the contract. Um, but So they bought Dinwiddie out. And now they have more cap space. Um I guess, but Dinwiddie's been terrible this year, um, shooting below 40% from the field, only 32% from three, his lowest scoring output since 2018. Um, and Schroeder was having a decent year. I, I honestly like him. Schroeder's pretty hilarious because his reputation has fluctuated more than like any other player in the league. Like It feels like every other year he goes from a guy that like, everyone's super down on, he signs for the minimum, um, and then you're like, Oh, he's actually pretty good. Like he's having an impact on this team. And then you talk yourself into him. And then the next off season he gets like ten to fifteen million and signs with the team. And then you're like, Oh man, this guy stinks. Like <laughs> it's like every other year. I mean, think about it. When he was with the Celtics, they were like, Get this guy off the team, please. And then they trade him and were way better. And then his first time with the Lakers, they make him he was supposed to be their big offseason acquisition and he was terrible and the team wasn't good and they were seven seed lost first round. But then you look back to, like, when he was on the Thunder, this six-man closing games with Chris Paul and SGA, and, like, he played great. And then the second time the Lakers, like, last year with uh, L.A., he was in their closing lineup, and they've, like, really missed him this year. So it's just funny how much he's fluctuated, but um, really hard to gauge what his value is at this point. Um, But, yeah, I don't know with Toronto. I mean, I I genuinely don't know what their plan is. They're, like, finally trading away some other guys and – but they did so without getting a ton of assets back from like a future picks perspective. And now they're trading away picks. They've now been technically buyers at two straight deadlines, despite being well out of the playoff picture. So their roster is just a bizarre roster too. Um, So I, I, I don't know what they're doing, Um, but I guess, I guess we'll see. Uh, We also had a lot of other deals that are just not even worth talking about. Um, Simone Fontecchio going to the Pistons for a second. Doug McDermott to the Pacers for a second. And Marcus Morris, who's going to get bought out. Robin Lopez dumped to the Kings for cash. He'll get bought out. Celtics got Jaden Springer from the Sixers for a second. Some people were talking about that. I I don't think he's going to be in the rotation at all. He has barely been in the rotation for the Sixers. Um, Yeah, I kind of liked him coming out of the draft, but um, I'd be surprised if he made any major impact. Um, Celtics also sent um, Delano Blanton to or Banton, sorry for the uh, to the Blazers for a second round pick. Warriors dumped Corey Joseph to the Pacers for a second, who's also going to get waived. So a lot of guys who were just getting dumped and for for second round picks who then get waived. Um, and that's pretty much all the deals. So now I do want to talk about teams that did not make deals. Um, I want to start off with the Lakers because this is. I actually just wrote an article about this uh, last week about how I thought they should not make any trades at all, and it would be smart for them to stand pat. And I know I've seen some people saying that they – how could they not make a deal? But look, the thought process here is that they've got one tradable first-round pick right now. That's it. That and Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell, those are the only assets they kind of have to trade. And I know a lot of people have been talking about how oh Russell's playing so well, so they should keep him. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care how Russell's playing. I think he's still bad and he's having a hot streak and I'm sure he'll have a terribly cold streak soon. So I'm not, I'm not on the D'Angelo Russell bandwagon in terms of like, now they got to keep him. Um, So, (laughs) But in the off season, they could have up to three first round picks to trade. So if you look at the options, option one is let's trade our first round pick now, try to get DeJounte Murray, something like that. They're a 500 team. They've been a 500 team all year. They're not in the playoffs right now. So you had Dejounte Murray. Let's say maybe best case scenario, he brings them to the six or seven seed. Okay, cool. They're a fine playoff team, and then they're probably gonna lose first round because they're gonna play the Clippers or Denver or uh, Minnesota or somebody. In a best case scenario, maybe they win that first round series over like the Thunder, and then guess what? After that, then you're definitely playing either the Clippers or the <laughs> Nuggets or something. So there's they a second round ceiling, even if they added DeJounte Murray, who was probably the best player available that they could have gotten. So what does that do for them? Now in the offseason, they've only got two picks to trade. They can't really make any major additions because two picks can only get you so much. Um, They're stuck with this Murray contract. And LeBron can opt out of his deal and potentially leave for nothing. And then you trade that pick for an asset um, in Murray that, sure, Murray and Davis, you'll be okay. You're not going to be terrible, but that's not a contender anytime soon. The alternative is that you keep the pick. Going in the offseason... You kind of just say this season is a wash. It We weren't good. It didn't happen. It is what it is. Just throw it under the rug and we'll try to be better next year. Um, which I know is sounds tough considering LeBron is 39. But I'm t- I really think this is the better path for them. And that na- now they've got three first-round picks, three swaps. Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, who they can either package with picks or hold on to one of either Reeves or D'Angelo Russell. But... Now, that's a that's a package where you might be able to get like a, a Donovan Mitchell or a Trey Young. I mean, these are guys that we've heard endlessly about how they could be available this summer if things don't go right for their team, which they're not going right for Atlanta right now. Um, Cleveland, another story, they're playing really well, so maybe that was a little overblown, but maybe if he just gives them a heads up that he doesn't want to stay there, it's very real that he could just be traded if that's the case. So... Suddenly, LA is looking like a legitimate suitor for these guys because they actually have assets to get them. And I think that adding Murray and then in the off season maybe you add one other kind of decent rotation guy, that team is not as good as if you add a Trey Young to this group. Um, then you've got some legit star power, some guy a guy that can really take pressure off of LeBron, um, and a guy that is young. That's the other thing is like. If LeBron, it gives you insurance. If LeBron leaves, I'm like, that's fine. We got Trey Young and Anthony Davis. That's a great duo to have moving forward. Or uh, Donovan Mitchell and Anthony Davis. I mean, those are, you'd have two bona fide all stars, like borderline all NBA guys on your team, even if LeBron leaves. So it puts you in a much, much better position moving forward um, versus like. Uh, you kind of half go for it this year, but then it only lets you half go for it next year versus you could just not go for it this year and fully go for it next year. So to me, this was a no-brainer for the Celtics. I Or sorry, the Lakers. <laughs> um, And yeah, I they made the right choice. And I, I think they were smart to do so. But um, the Bulls, on the other hand, I have no idea what they're doing. They are a joke. They're stuck in mediocrity. They will... F- continue to be stuck in mediocrity because they just refuse to accept the reality of where they are as a team. There's quotes coming out that they want to push for the playoffs like congratulations for what to lose first round in four, maybe five um, or maybe to not even make the playoffs. they might fall short. So this is just I can't understand how they're being run right now. I what I can understand maybe holding on to Levine because he's injured, <laughs> obviously. But like DeRozan is a free agent at the end of the year. He's he's gonna leave. They're, he's just he's gonna leave. They they are gonna lose that asset for absolutely nothing. And his value will never be higher than right now because he's already getting up there in age. He's majorly overperformed what people expected of him in Chicago. And like even if the deal that you wanted wasn't out there, maybe they wanted it first and they couldn't get it first. Whatever, whatever you get back for him is still better than nothing. And he's going to leave for nothing. It just makes no sense. Like uh, Vucevic, I could understand keeping or Caruso just because maybe they didn't get what they wanted and they could just try again next year. But I have no faith that they will try again next year because last year they didn't make a deadline deal. And you could say, oh, well, maybe they'll just deal next year. Guess what? It's this year and they didn't do anything again. And especially with DeRozan being being an expiring contract. So, I have no faith in them to say, like, oh, benefit of the doubt, maybe they'll just try to deal Caruso in the offseason or, or next deadline. Like, no, I actually don't think they're going to because why would I? They haven't made a trade deadline deal in, like, three years or something, and they're the team that every single year we say should make one. So, I I feel for Bulls fans. they're Them and the Raptors both, I mean, the two of them are just – they're not being <laughs> – they are not currently well-run organizations. I will say that. Um. The Hawks, you could say – I'm more forgiving on the Hawks here because, look, Trey Young, I, if I'm them, I'm not trading him unless, like, he really – he wants out. If he says he wants out, then we can talk about it. But, like, he's still super young. I think he's still very good. Um, A true, like, franchise-type player. Probably best suited as a number two, but regardless, like, he's, he's super good. I wouldn't trade him unless I had to. Murray – I understand why he was like being dangled because I said this when they made the trade for him. I never liked the fit. They, it didn't really make sense to me. They're both better with the ball in their hands. Neither of them are like, Murray hasn't been a great spot up shooter in his career. And then Trey probably could be, but he's been reluctant to do so. So it's just like they don't play well with each other. The on off stuff is like when they're on the court together, they're like not even better than when they're on with just one of them. So, it's clearly just not a good fit. It never has been. So I get wanting to move him. But he also just signed a four year extension. So the I don't think there's a huge rush. Like they could trade him in the offseason. They could trade him at the deadline next year. Like I don't I don't think trading Murray was some like, oh my God, we absolutely have to do this now. Um I think if there was a desperate team willing to overpay, then yeah, it makes total sense to do it now. But if that wasn't there, if they weren't getting the deals they wanted, then I have no issue with them holding on to him and just writing it out the rest of the year, see what happens, and then maybe trade him in the offseason. Because I do kind of like some of the stuff they have. Jalen Johnson has been really good for them this year. Um, I still like Okongwu. Um, like I just said, I, I'm a Trey Young like believer still, just in some capacity at least. So. I don't hate that the Hawks did Pat is the point um, compared to like the Bulls where I'm like, you're going to lose this guy for nothing and you have no like the Bulls stars are all older and the Hawks stars are younger to a degree. So I think it's more excusable. Um, one team that didn't do anything that I thought really should have was the Nuggets. I know they just won the championship last year, but they didn't add anybody in the offseason. And from their team last year, they don't have Bruce Brown and they don't have um, Jeff Green. And they're playing a lot of guys that are either kind of washed up like Reggie Jackson or uh, DeAndre Jordan or unproven like Peyton Watson and Julian Strather and um, Christian Brown. And so I, I worry about their bench a little bit. I mean, they just don't really have anybody that I trust or that I know for sure can play in a playoff series like Christian Brown had his moments. Absolutely. Did he? He had a game in the finals where he scored 15-plus, looked really good. But he also was getting DMPs. Like, he was out of the rotation for a little bit um, throughout the playoffs. And so I know they only played seven guys, which I'm not saying they need nine guys. But who were the seven guys? Like, who were the other two off the bench? Like, I guess you'd have to say probably Christian Brown and Peyton Watson. But I trust them a lot less than I trust Bruce Brown and Jeff Green so I really thought they could have used just even a minor bench edition. Um, and I know you could argue like they technically don't have any first round picks they could trade right now. But they could have found a way to get first round picks. So, for example, they owe their 2025 first to the Magic, top five protected. And if it doesn't convey, then it goes to 2026. If it doesn't convey, it goes to 2027. But guess what? It's going to convey. Like, it's top, they're not going to be in the bottom five. So they could have worked with the Magic to try to remove the protection of that. And so if that happens, then they can trade their 2026 pick. And same thing with they have their 2028 pick to the Thunder, also top five protected. And the reason they can't trade it is because, same reason, if it doesn't convey, then it goes to 2029. If it doesn't convey, it goes to 2030. But same thing, they could have just removed the protections on both of those and said, you know what? We, we trust our team. We're not going to be a bottom five team in 2025 or 2028. So let's remove the protections there. Then suddenly you can trade your 2020-30 pick as well as do swaps for all of the t- 2026, 2027, 2029. So I I really thought they could have gotten creative and done something. They also had some second-round picks to trade. Also, they could have traded some of their younger guys like Strother or Christian Brown if they thought it was a real up- upgrade. So I just don't love the standing pat thing when you – like when teams win the championship – there's all the justification in the world to run it back. But what I hate when teams do is when they like lose people, don't replace them and think that they can just go back into the next year. Like I'm not saying Denver can't win it this year. I think they're absolutely up there. One of the top two or three um, favorites to do so. But I just think that I would feel a lot better about them if they had tried to replace those guys. So now is their window. I'm not really sure why they're so like, reluctant to, uh, make those picks unprotected given where they're at, um, or to trade swaps or second round picks or some of the young guys, like you got prime Jokic on your team. You got to go for it. They like could easily repeat this year. They could easily win in next year. Like you got to get some guys and go for it. So it's, it's a little tough. Um, I know they didn't have flexibility from a cat perspective either. Cause most of their bench guys are making, next to nothing. So it's hard to consolidate salaries to get to a number, but I'm sure like even a Royce O'Neal, the Suns got him. He would be totally an upgrade for them. He's not quite the same player as Bruce Brown from like a offensive ball handler and creation perspective. But again, another solid guy, you know, you can trust in a playoff setting. So, uh, and then lastly, I'll talk about the Warriors real quick. I kind of feel like I'm okay with them not doing much because they just—they kind of need to figure out where everyone's at. Like, they've got a lot of guys. Like, Kaminga's played his best basketball of his career. Wiggins has played better recently. Pajemski's looked good as a rookie. Clay has been pretty bad. Um, Chris Paul's coming back from injury soon. Moody's been in and out of the rotation recently. Like, they—they they got too many guys. But I kind of think, like. I think their issue is more figuring out who the rotation should be as opposed to like trading guys. Cause I don't know what the upgrade would have been. Even I don't even know who they would get if they were trading, it would be more like to consolidate, to get guys elsewhere um, so that it opens up rotation spots. But I personally would for them, I think off season makes perfect sense for them to make a deal. Um, It'll help help too, because clay is a free agent. So that situation will be resolved. Um, and then maybe they'll deal deal Wiggins. I doubt Wiggins had much of a uh, market right now. So maybe in the offseason, he's played a little bit better down the stretch here. So he might be able to grow some of that value back up. But overall, I'm okay with the Warriors not doing much because this is really their first year where they felt like massive pressure to make a deal. Um, whereas look at some of these other teams <laughs> I'm talking about. They've had years of pressure to make these deals, and then it so it normally takes some time to for these things to work out and decide like okay, who do we actually want to move? Who do we actually want to target? I just don't think there was a lot out there for them in terms of if they traded away guys, I don't think they were going to get a lot back. If they were trying to add guys, I don't think there was a lot of guys out there to add. Um, plus, I think they secretly want to move off Clay, but they'd rather not trade him and just let him walk in free agency or something like that because. not going to get much for him in return on the (laughs) market anyway um but yeah and that's going to do it for this episode of the sean jones nba show thank you so much for listening um not the most exciting trade deadline i don't think there was a lot of needle movers here i think the celtics nuggets and clippers were the favorites coming in and i still think they are the resounding favorites right now as well Um, but it's still always fun to see some player movement and it'll be Uh, Interesting to see how these guys integrate into their new teams. Uh, But we do have the All-Star weekend coming up next week, uh, so probably won't record again until after that, but we'll talk about how some of the new guys are fitting in and um, as we hit the stretch run here, talk about just where teams sit and who's a contender, who's not, and any other kind of later season observations that we might have. So um, with that being said, thank you for listening, and I will chat with you soon.